Hello and welcome back. The year is 2024 and it is the 345th day of January. <laughs> maybe I should start saying the dates on the, I know the dates come up for the episodes, but maybe I should start giving context of like what's going on in the world. <laughs> Probably not, to be fair. Um, I wonder if I would listen back to the lockdown episodes and I've referenced anything from like, what a wild time. Anyway, welcome back, welcome back. I've been off my shit, off my podcasting game. Haven't been very well. You can probably still hear. I sound a bit funky, a bit groggy, but I actually feel okay. Aside from having a lot of pressure in my head from this cold, physically I feel okay. So we're back. Episode 50, here I go again. 53? 53. The last episode was a part one and I haven't done the part two yet and I'm already coming in with a different topic but that's how my brain works. Today I want to speak about intermittent fasting. I get asked about this quite a lot and I guess I do this with a lot of topics is I assume that we've you know debunked and we've spoken about these things enough that people understand when actually people don't understand the very um, I don't want to say basic or simple, but the foundational things when it comes to nutrition and energy balance. Um, and it's good to be reminded that people, you know, are still confused because we know the nutrition space is so confusing. Side note on this, if you're somebody that like feels like they are easily confused or they see a video and they're like, oh my God, what? Can this be true? Where has this come from? You know, like today I was asked, is it true that oats are bad for you? Like, why are we now picking on oats? I, I feel like we need to protect oats at all cost. But with anything like this, with intermittent fasting, with, you know, fat burning zones and, and any kind of thing that you once thought was true and then you're like, oh, actually it's it's not or it's been kind of debunked. Everything comes from one small kernel of truth somewhere. There is something that's either been misconstrued, confused, or exaggerated over time. And people latch onto this, and then they feed it out like it's this magic bullet. Anyway, that was my side note. Let's move on to intermittent fasting. And I'm going to presume that anybody listening to this has no freaking idea what intermittent fasting is. So we'll start there, right? What is intermittent fasting? I like to say that intermittent fasting is basically a posh way of saying I skip meals. Um, but it involves alternating periods of fasting and eating, right? That, that's it at its very basic form. And there are a few different ways that people can do intermittent fasting. These approaches, though, often are focusing on the when you eat and they don't really focus on the what you eat. And I think that is an important distinction to make when you're thinking, should I do intermittent fasting? Um, it, it's not about what you eat. And I'm going to talk about the limitations of that. It's more about when you eat, right? There are some types of intermittent fasting protocols that do specify, you know, certain food types or um, calorie restrictions 
But for the most part, it's more about feeding windows. And we're going to talk about the two kind of most popular types, right? We're going to talk about time-restricted feeding. So this involves limiting your daily intake um, and when you eat to a specific window every day. The most popular example of this is like the 16-8. So you fast for 16 hours and you eat for eight hours. So you might only eat between the hours of like 12 p.m. and 8 p.m., right? Um... There are other ways that you can vary this. Some people do like a longer fasting period and they only eat for four hours. Um, the, you know, there's lots of different setup, but it is purely about the time of the feeding window in time-restricted feeding. The other one that you've got is kind of alternate day fasting or there's like the eat, stop, eat, which you may have heard of, which is where you basically fast for one day, 24 hours, and then you eat normally for the rest of the six days. There's also like the 5-2 diet where you consume like really low calories on two days a week and then the rest of the week you have your normal intake. So in those examples, you are specifically looking at like calorie intake, but in the time-restricted feeding, there's never ever really specified what your intake should be, right? And, and that is kind of me alluding to I guess the problem with it. Um, so those are the two main types that we're going to concern ourselves with today. Now, when it comes to intermittent fasting, I always get like a really broad question of like, is intermittent fasting worth it? I'm like, worth what? Is intermittent fasting good or should I avoid it? Well, good for what? So there's lots of claims around intermittent fasting for weight management or weight loss, intermittent fasting for... Um, health and aging outcomes, reducing risk of disease and cancer, impacts on gut health. So let's kind of explore all of these in this podcast, right? And we'll start with the big one, which is weight management, weight loss. This is the most common thing that I get asked with intermittent fasting. Because intermittent fasting can lead to an overall reduction in calorie intake, it can for some people be a helpful way of losing weight, at least in the short term, right? When we look at most of the weight loss studies, um, they tend to be like less than two years. um, And a lot of them are just like for a few weeks or a few months. So whenever you're looking at the research around it, and there's a lot of statistics that are banded around, like all, you know, all diets fail, people don't maintain weight loss. Just remember that they're they're not long-term studies, they're not long-term interventions. We're only ever looking at short-term, right? Um, However, there are multiple studies that have looked at intermittent fasting versus like your traditional diet, just a daily calorie goal, calorie restriction. Um, And what's really interesting is that a lot of the studies, and there was a systematic review that looked at, you know, all of the research altogether in one, and a systematic review in 2020 found that intermittent fasting diets led to around 0.8 to 13% weight loss. That's quite a big, you know, range, but that was the range that they saw in people. However, this was really similar to other calorie-restricted diets, right? So when we say, is it better for fat loss? If it means sticking to a number of calories that you need to be at to lose weight, then yes, maybe intermittent fasting is better for you. Is it doing something magically different? No. If you use intermittent fasting, you still have to create a calorie deficit, right? 
your reducing your intake, reducing your meals, reducing your window of eating or how many days a week you eat. And that is creating a calorie deficit. Anything that we do for fat loss has got to lead to us being in an energy deficit somehow, or it just won't work. Nothing works outside of the law of thermodynamics. I feel like I'm going back to like day one stuff that I've spoken about on this podcast before, but if you can wrap your head around that, it will help you spot bullshit a mile off. If it doesn't put me in energy deficit, then it's not going to work. But also, if it does put me in energy deficit, what are the consequences of that? What are the health impacts of that? And that's a big question that I think a lot of people don't ever ask. They always ask, will this be good for fat loss? They never ask, what are the consequences to my health? And that would save a lot of people a lot of fucking headache and heartache when it comes to yo-yo dieting, food, relationship with food, body image, yada, yada, yada. I've gone off on a tangent again. So when we look at studies, you know, comparing the two, they both elicit fat loss, right? So the key thing is, is it good for me if you can stick to it and if it suits you? The people that it suited, it worked for. There'll be a lot of people in the studies that it didn't work for, they couldn't adhere to it and they dropped off. So when we see the weight loss result, that's the people that actually adhered to it and stuck to it. Same with any other diet. However, what's interesting about intermittent fasting is that not only was there a loss of fat loss, there were also a loss of muscle mass. And we do see this in a lot of the studies, right? So what we do need to be aware of is that there are other things that can happen alongside fat loss with intermittent fasting. Um, What we also need to be aware of is that the timing of feeding and the fasting windows obviously are going to play a role. Um, And if we're looking from a health perspective... We can see in some of the research that skipping breakfast has been linked to disease outcomes, higher BMI. Now I'm saying linked to, I'm not saying causing. Skipping breakfast doesn't cause it, but they, there is a link that we observe, right? Remind me to do another podcast on correlation versus causation. Um, similarly though, early time restricted feeding has got some promising research in being beneficial for certain things. But in this light, weight loss, it has been shown to be maybe beneficial for managing appetite. And I think maybe meal timing might be another podcast. I'm just thinking out loud here. Meal timing, remind me. Remind me that I said that. Um, So there could be some real benefits to earlier time-restricted feeding, so having your window of eating from 8am onwards, so maybe 8 till 4pm and then you stop after that if you want to do intermittent fasting, right? So a little bit of promising research around that, however, we do need ongoing research, we need more long-term stuff, that's the case for many, many things. And whenever we're thinking about weight loss diets, we've got to think about can I maintain this long-term? Is this actually suitable for me and my lifestyle? We know that it is really difficult for people to lose and maintain weight. And that comes down to the fact that they're not choosing the right method. They're not doing it in the right way. Um, With a lot of people who lose weight, regaining that weight within a few years, right? So Do we want to implement something that is not going to suit us or serve us? I think that's the question we should ask. Not, is intermittent fasting the best thing? Is intermittent fasting the best thing for me is the question. 
Um, so, you know, when we're thinking about that, we also need to think, what is the state of my relationship with food? And often what I've found with people that say that they intermittent fast, and that typically means that they don't eat breakfast and they start eating at 12, is that it's not because they think intermittent fasting is better for them or that it suits them better, that actually it's a diet culture thing, it's a form of, you know, I don't want to say covering, but it's maybe a manifestation of some disordered eating, a bit of a problematic relationship with their food or their, their body. Um, and that can be problematic and that can feed into this cycle of losing and regain the same weight, right? And, and that's got a, a kind of a, a really strong link to impaired physical and mental health down the line. So we don't want to do anything that's going to worsen that. And I always, always have to think from this lens as a practitioner, as a nutritionist, when someone comes to me and they're saying, should I do this? What do you think is best for me? Can you tell me about this? I will always give you the information. I will always empower you with the information. But we need to look at it from a health lens. Is this the right thing for you right now? Is this going to make your relationship with food better? Are you going to feel empowered by this? Or is it potentially making things worse or masking things that are going on? So... Weight loss, boom, ticked. Now, when it comes to aging, right? Aging is such a big one. There's so many fucking men on podcasts talking about intermittent fasting. Typically people with like doctor in their name or saying they're a dietitian or they're a holistic health coach, which what the fuck does that even mean? Or what do they call themselves? Um, not nutritionists, um oh my God, it's really going to frustrate me if I can't think about, think the word, naturopath, oh my God, anyway, there's lots of things going around about, you know, intermittent fasting is great because it, you know, increases autophagy and it gets rid of damaged cells and it recycles them and it reduces inflammation and it reduces the number of free radicals, which means that we won't get cancer, blah, 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 right, so let's talk about it. There is some evidence that intermittent fasting might help trigger the body to boost its process of cell repair and recycling damaged parts of cells. This is what we call autophagy or autophagy, whatever, the, however you want to pronounce it, babe. And it might also reduce some inflammation and the number of free radicals. These are molecules, molecules that can go on to cause harm in the body, right? That's what free radicals are. Um, so obviously these things are processes that are really positive and they have a positive impact on our long-term cognitive health and our long-term overall health, right? However, it's not a lot of research and again, we need more ongoing research to really, really get into this because the majority of the research in this area at the moment is carried out on animals and when people are quoting studies and results that have seen from studies what they are doing is quoting animal studies or petri dish studies and that's not humans we can't take evidence from petri dishes or human uh, animals sorry and extrapolate that and say this is what will happen in humans because we saw this in a rat no 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 it doesn't work that way there was one study a human study that was done in 2019 and 
it compared the impact of having the same amount of calories every day between 8 a.m. and 2 p.m. So this is like early time restricted feeding we're talking about or a 12 hour period. So 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., right? And what the researchers found was that the early time restricted feeding pattern, so 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., was associated with a slight increase in what we call brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, right? This is a protein that's involved in brain repair and neural connections and functions, um, as well as gene expression that indicated autophagy and healthy aging, right? Really great, really promising research, right? However, there are other risks that we need to be thinking about when it comes to aging and intermittent fasting. We've already discussed the the fact that muscle mass may be lost through intermittent fasting protocols. We're at risk of losing that. Now, when we're aging, we are already at risk of losing that. Our muscles become less responsive to protein, less responsive to muscle protein synthesis. We are at risk of sarcopenia, which is muscle loss. If we then intermittent fast on top of that, we are potentially adding to this risk of muscle loss. That comes with a whole host of other health risks, right? And could potentially increase our mortality risk. So what's really interesting about this is that all they're talking about here is intermittent fasting's impact on aging, right? And it increases autophagy. But Do you know what else increases autophagy and is really great for lowering your mortality risk and is really great for increasing BDNF and our brain function? It's exercise. Do you know what else exercise is great for? Retaining and building muscle mass. (laughs) So if it's going to be a toss-up between intermittent fasting for aging or, I don't know, exercise, I think I know which one I'm going to go with, right? Call me biased if you want. So those are the two main things that people tend to be concerned with. Again, there are lots of other claims around intermittent fasting and diabetes and insulin resistance. Now, when we talk about diabetes, there are two different types of diabetes. And obviously, for some people, having periods of time with no food is going to be really detrimental to their current state, right? If you're thinking about anybody with type 1 diabetes when they're going into a state of hypoglycemia or hyper from lack of food or too much food after a fast, we don't want to be putting them at risk of that. When it comes to type 2 diabetes, there is a little bit of research that shows fasting might include uh, improve kind of appetite control, glucose control. However, there is also some of the research that says it might worsen some things that we tend to see in type 2 diabetes. So jury's kind of out, need more research. Same goes for gut health, very mixed research. Are we improving gut microbiota? Are we improving the diversity of our gut? Are we improving its function? the jury is still out. We need more research. We can't say anything definitively at this moment. So there are obviously risks associated. And, you know, maybe you listen to this and you already know that I am not a fan of intermittent fasting, especially for women, right? Let's talk about women then in terms of risk, right? Women and the female body itself, the female hormone system is very sensitive 
to the amount of the amount of energy that we supply it. Women are way more sensitive to energy deficits in their in a, in a you know a negative sense, and we're way more sensitive to um, surplus of energy in a positive way. Okay, our hormones will respond really quickly to both. Therefore, going long periods of time without food is not good for us. It can disrupt some really important signaling pathways between our brain and our reproductive system. And what can happen as a result of that is that it can impact, obviously, all of the great things that come from our own reproductive system and reproductive hormones. It's not that we can balance our hormones. Hormones are never in balance. That's another phrase that just needs to fuck off. They are constantly in flux, right? But we want to be creating the right environment for them to flux, (laughs) flux around, find out, um, to be in flux in the right way. We don't want to be hindering them and stopping them from doing the great job that they need to do and and hindering their signal in between our brain and our reproductive system. Um, So... For females, is it great to go long periods of time without food? No. If you're somebody that is already trying to restore their reproductive um, system, their natural production of their reproductive hormones, you know, maybe you've got hypothalamic amenorrhea, you've lost your period, then you definitely don't want to be doing this because this is going to put so much more additional pressure on that kind of hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, as it were called which is basically the connection between your brain and your reproductive system. We don't want to put additional pressure on that. It's already under pressure. Um, so for me, it's a big no-no. We, we want to be having a constant and consistent supply of energy for females. Now, thinking about athletic populations, not just women, what else is really important for athletic populations? The same a regular supply of supply sorry of nutrients to optimize their recovery to optimize their performance and we already know that intermittent fasting has been linked with a decrease in muscle mass therefore we can probably assume that going long periods without food might impact their performance right there isn't a heap of um information on this that the results are kind of mixed but you know what we do know what we do have we can hypothesize that it's probably not good to be exercising on low energy availability, whether you're man or woman. I want to go back to um, diabetes again. Fasting for long periods is really going to be risky, especially in those at risk of dangerously low blood glucose or dangerously high. So definitely a no-no for those guys. Um, And when we look at things like insulin resistance and PCOS type 2 diabetes, it's not necessarily that we need to be fasting, but what we do sometimes see is that maybe an earlier, again, early um, time frame for eating can be beneficial for insulin sensitivity. Um, And eating less at night and in the evening can be good for everybody, but especially in those populations. So it's not necessarily that you need to fast, but maybe just front-loading most of your food and tapering off towards the end of the day might be something that is helpful for you. Again, 
mixed evidence on this, not something that you have to do, just something that is like a watch this space area. It's really important, right, that we consider that there are obvious risks, but for some people, there may be real benefits. I would always say for anything that you're going to try, are you emotionally and mentally in the right place for this? What did your relationship with food and exercise look like? Because like I've already said, intermittent fasting could be a symptom or it could be a trigger for disordered eating. Any type of fasting, whether it's having a day where you don't eat, whether it's two days where you're super low calorie, right? It's really not safe or appropriate for anybody that is really struggling with a relationship with food or is in recovery from an eating disorder. Fasting has been found to be a predictor of eating disorder, including binge eating disorder, bulimia, and just purging disorder by itself. So if you are somebody that has suffered with this before, has maybe some other risk factors for eating disorders, uh, I mean, I don't know if everybody would ever be aware of them having those kind of increased risks, but if you're a coach listening to this and you have somebody you're working with that maybe does have some other risk factors showing already, fasting probably not the best idea for them. And obviously, there are a whole heap of things that people just don't talk about when it comes to intermittent fasting. It's like, oh yeah, just intermittent fast, it's great. All right, well, let's talk about potential headaches. Let's talk about, you know, the kind of massive dips or reduced energy levels in the periods when you're not eating. Um, the fact that it can bring on anxiety for some people. For some people, you're going to have to be really hungry and that can make you really fucking irritable. It can really impact your mood. It can impact your sleep, depending on where you're putting your time, like window of eating. So a lot of things to to consider. And I've tried to be as balanced as possible, even though it's quite clear I am not a fan of intermittent fasting. We don't know the long-term impacts of intermittent fasting, especially in various populations and groups. We, we need a lot more research, especially on humans, not just on animals. Um, and whilst, yeah, it might be really popular for a lot of people and you might hear a lot of people talking about it, I think you need to evaluate if it's the right thing for you. If more research comes out, you know, around the heart health, diabetes, gut health area, I am always willing to be more open-minded and change my mind. Um, But at current, for me, there's just a lot of risks mentally and physically. And I don't think that it's a, a very suitable approach for a lot of people. So that's it. That's my hot take. Um, I hope this was helpful. I hope it has opened your mind and your thoughts um, and maybe made you consider, is this the right thing for me? As always, if you've got any questions or topics, I mean, maybe I'll do meal timing next. Um, any topics that you would like me to delve into more or if you would like me to, you know, specifically chat about any of the research around certain things, my DMs, my emails, always open, let me know, hope you have a great week, whatever freaking week this is, I think it's February this week, so happy days, and I will catch you all in the next episode, thanks so much for listening.